Good morning, good afternoon, welcome to the Freedom and Wealth Podcast. This is your host, Brian Nicolason. Today is Friday, June 23rd, 2023. We are coming up quickly on the end of June. I feel like 2023 is flying by. 2022 was maybe a bit more stressful and more unknown from a market perspective. We headed into the year knowing we were going to go into the most aggressive Federal Reserve tightening schedule we had seen um, definitely in 20 or 30 years, uh, if not 40 years from since 1980. So really, we haven't see, hadn't seen that big of a, a tightening process, and so that was in we were anticipating that at the beginning of last year, and uh, so there was a lot of unknowns. No one really knew what the effects would be, and. You know, they were maybe a bit more muted or at least maybe a bit more delayed than most people had thought initially. Um, and we've talked about this in past podcasts, but you know, even though the Fed was pulling money out of the system, there were offsetting factors uh, like the Treasury kind of re- you know putting a trillion dollars in through uh, a reduction in their Treasury general account. So, Again, 2022 was very unknown. 2023 has been very interesting, I think is the best way to put it. It's a little less volatile. The VIX is, you know, microscopic. It's it's the VIX is under 14, which so it's basically a very low um, volatility factor in the market. So we, we haven't had that volatility. And we've had some very interesting moves, some deservedly, you know, correct, and some, I think, not. Um, so... Again, we're going to continue to navigate through 2023. I know a few clients did not schedule for their Q1 end of quarter review when we were pretty buried. So uh, if we missed our Q1 review, you know, definitely be on the lookout for a email about a Q2 review. We're going to send that out the very early part of July. And definitely schedule yourself, uh, you know, especially if you hadn't met with us after the end of Q1. And I hope that this podcast can also be a little bit of a prep for that Q2 meeting to get clients' minds around where we are um, in the equity markets, etc. So we're going to recap 2022-2023 portfolio performance in a moment, but before I do that, I want to talk about some of the concerns that we have in general around the U.S. equity market as a whole, right? So let's take a step back to 1979-1980. And really since then, which is kind of the end, I think 1982, whatever the year was, it was the end of the, the Fed tightening schedule under Paul Volcker's reign to bring in the inflation from the 1970s. After that, I mean, you know, interest rates were 18, 20%, wherever they were. They're, they went down to zero from there. And so it basically was 40 years straight of interest rates going down. Uh, you could draw a trend line and it was just straight down from 20% to 0%. And... The last 15 years or so, we've been at 0% generally, right? So again, a few blips where interest rates, they tried to raise interest rates unsuccessfully, right? That was 07, that was 2018, and then again now, which again will prove to be unsuccessful, just like the last two. And in fact, this one will prove to be the most unsuccessful. Um, So again, we've been in this 40-year bull market in bonds as as interest rates go down, bond prices go up. So bond prices have been going up generally for 40 years straight, and interest rates have been going down. And this lowering of interest rates has been a boon for risk assets because it disincentivizes people to invest in safe assets like debt instruments, 
treasuries, savings accounts, uh, and instead to buy risk assets, right? Whether that's equities or the most risky assets, speculative currencies like Bitcoin, etc. So you, you've had this basically inflation of the price of risk assets due, due to excess demand. So risk assets went up in price um, as interest rates went down. And that's been a phenomenon for the last 40 years for a few reasons. First of all, risk assets, their, their price are is a derivative of the interest rate environment. So as interest rates go down just on a pure pricing mechanism, risk asset prices have to go up. Second is you have that big demand because you're disincentivized to own the safer assets. Um, and third, you then, uh, you know, you have the debt markets where companies can go in and get money at 0%. Uh, so they can actually engineer profits, they could buy their stock back with debt, etc. So again, this this cheap money, low interest rate, zero interest rate environment was supercharged after 2008. And then you know, double supercharged, like, you know, put nitrous on it uh, after after the COVID pandemic. Uh, but again, it's it's created 15 years. It's created a generation of traders and market practitioners that really don't even know what interest rates are. They don't know that interest rates are supposed to be more than zero. I mean, 15 years is a long time. And what it's done is it's created again, a new generation of traders, which I think are looking at things differently and than, than the traditional investors uh, have in the past. Uh, but second, it created $100 trillion worth of real estate valuation that's based on these 0% interest rates. And you know, then people borrowed against that, that real estate value. Um, and so you have this, this massive everything bubble, if you will, where every value went up, whether it's bonds, risk assets, stocks, or real estate, right? And everything went up in value. And so now, you know, we're in this world where we have this higher interest rate environment, and we're going to have to deal with a resetting of valuations. Uh, and again, this is like our core problem, right, with the with the overall equity markets today. Um, in, in essence, after 2008, what happened is that the Fed, they panicked, and they used what was supposed to be a short-term tool. Monetary policy is a short-term tool to address liquidity issues, right, in, in a short-term basis. And in 2008, Ben Bernanke, uh, the Fed chair at the time, said that the quantitative easing that they were doing, the buying of assets, printing of money and buying of assets by the Federal Reserve, was a temporary thing. Um, and they said they, they would shrink the balance sheet back to the way it was uh, in short order. And that never happened. That was a pure lie by Ben Bernanke. He was a liar in that case, okay? Um, he lied and he told the American public that it was temporary. And he told the global community that it was that it was temporary. And I think that really goes to the issue that a lot of people ask of why didn't you see inflation after 2008? Because you printed you know, a couple trillion dollars, you injected it into the economy to bail us out of this financial crisis. And those that were calling for inflation or gold prices to go up or anything of that sort got called, you know, a lunatic and you're an idiot and you don't know anything, right? That was the, the that would happen to those folks. Uh, but those folks, I think, were, um, maybe they were right. And, and, and the rest of the investment world globally uh, got caught flat-footed because they, they actually believed 
that the Fed was going to shrink the balance sheet. And they believed that it was a temporary thing. And so the dollar actually went up in value after the 2008 financial crisis. When you would think that the dollar would actually go down in value, that you know, you'd know you be devalued as you print a couple trillion dollars. But because we're such a strong economy and because it was being proposed as a temporary fix to the problem, everybody believed the Fed and therefore they bought dollars. So dollar went up, gold went down. And that was a very interesting trade and I guess what you had to do is you had to believe the Fed. If you were a non-believer of the Fed, right, and, and you knew that they were lying to you, then you knew that inflation would come, right? And so you would bet against the dollar, and theoretically, you would have lost that trade. So that's an interesting problem that, again, market practitioners face because, Again, those that, that read through the lines and said, no, this guy's a liar. They're never going to shrink the balance sheet. You know, um, it, it, it's like a, a roach motel. You can check in, but you can never check out. That's what quantitative easing is. You can get into it. You'll never get out. And if you made that bet, uh, you're actually punished, right? Now, you continue to be punished, right? Even in the face of this big inflation that we've seen. Um, but sometimes these things just take time to play out. So I'm going to circle back to that in a minute, but let's, let's continue on this conversation, right? Where they use this very short term tool, monetary policy, the printing of money, um, which is supposed to be temporary and they use it permanently. They used it to just inject money into the markets and never to take it out. They never shrank the balance sheet after 2008. Then they blew it up again after COVID and they really haven't shrunk it maybe a little bit, but not a lot at all. I mean, we're up at $9 trillion dollars in the Fed balance sheet. They've been buying assets for 15 years. This is They took a temporary tool, made it permanent. What needed to be done was structural changes, right? They got away with this kind of lying about the fact that it was a temporary issue. Um, they were backstopped by the investment community, community that bought the dollar based on that. And then those people think that they actually were right uh, because even though there was inflation, it was hidden by globalization. So yes, you had inflation because again, that, that monetary policy became permanent. And so the inflation was there, but you had globalization offsetting those inflationary um, factors. And so you ended up with no inflation and everybody said, hey, we were right. Look, it doesn't matter. Even if Ben Bernanke is a liar, you should have bought the dollar. Um, and those people were kind of uh, vindicated, if you will, but uh, they were wrong. The inflation was there, right? But it's just been hidden and it's been masked over by a decrease in the cost of goods because of globalization and manufacturing abroad. But again, this inflation now is coming. It's finally coming because globalization can't hide it anymore. And, and that's the issue. So, so structurally, instead of just printing all this money, obviously the, the answer is smaller government, fiscal retrenchment, reigning in the welfare state that we live in, you know, lowering taxes, having better immigration policies to bring good entrepreneurs here uh, to continue to develop uh, better education and conservative government. Those are the things that you need um, to get yourself out of financial crises like 2008 or like 2020. Uh, instead, they, they use this temporary measure of monetary policy. They made it permanent. And they got away with it for 15 years because of globalization. 
But all that has caught up to them in the form of inflation. We've had inflation now for two, three years. And on average, those inflation numbers are probably 15, 16% a year. We've lost about 40% of our purchasing power in the last, 30, uh, last three years. Uh, and that is absolutely the truth. They're going to lie to us. The CPI is a manipulated number. They substitute goods. They do hedonics. They do all different strategies to get rid of the inflation and the government printed numbers. But again, the real numbers are closer to 20% a year in inflation last year. They're still probably 8 or 9% this year. And we're probably troughing on inflation because energy prices have come down so significantly. Once you see China come back online and energy prices pick back up, I think inflation is actually going to pick up. And again, you're coming off some pretty big base effects from last year. So, you know, again, we're, we're in this big inflation problem now. So finally, all this money printing has caught up to them. And, you know, at the same time now, short-term rates have moved up to five and a quarter. And so you have all this real estate valuation, all this stock market valuation, you know, that were created over the last 15 years that are really being called into question. And that's the overall overarching concern in about 12 minutes. That's the overarching concern that we have as investors about, you know, what's ahead of us, right? So as all that was starting to unfold in 2022, as we knew the rates were coming up, the inflation was hot as could be, uh, we took the route that we think needed to be taken. And we've said this to every client that we take on, and we're bringing on more clients today than we, we have in, in, in any quarter uh, in the past. And everything we say to these clients is, we're going to take the route that maybe it's painful, maybe it's unpopular, but it is the route of preserving principle. Because our clients are baby boomers. They've done well, for the most part, to get to where they are today. They're close to retirement or they're in retirement. And if we're right, and all these things are going to catch up to us in, in some type of event over the next 10 to 20 years, the last thing we can afford to do is, is get hurt by that event if it takes 15 years to come back. And that is the, that's the risk. Um, and so we, we, we took the route of preserving principle. It turned out to be the right move for last year. Our portfolios were down between 6 and 8% last year, um, depending on our portfolio. But yeah, the market was down 19%. The average American investor was down more than 20%. And so we, we outperformed the market significantly by preserving uh, capital. Now, the market rally has picked up here in 2023. We generally stayed on the sideline. Um, and so, you know, the market's closed in a bit on our lead. However, you know, we're still outperforming the market. Our portfolios are now two-thirds invested. We're back above, you know, most of the technical levels. Um, and so we, we're invested, right? We're a little bit more tactically bullish, if you will, on the equity markets. But, you know, what it brings into question is what's next, right? So we got to this point. We, we got through 2022. The market has shown incredible resilience to kind of come back to where it is today. Maybe it's it's 10 or 11% off the high. Uh, it, it's done a really good job kind of crawling back in, in pretty short order, Um so the question is, is this little romance that the market's showing, is it a summer fling or is it true love, right? Is this the start of a new bull market or is it just a bear market rally? You know, we're in the summer fling camp, I guess, as most of you, um, you know, could probably imagine. Um, but, you know, what we want to always remember is we're in a bit of a boom and bust um, part of the economy today. You know, with all this inflation, 
all this you know, asset appreciation over the last 15 years, you, you know, you're going to see big, big highs and low lows, right? High highs and low lows. And so 2020 and 2021, because of so much money printing, it was bullish because inflation had actually drove profits. And then now in 2023, as inflation is starting to come down, it's going to drive a profit bust, right? And so what we did is we called last year for an earnings recession. That was our primary reason why we thought equities would go down. We weren't just thinking that they would go down just because. We thought, hey, you're raising interest rates. You're going to tighten down on inflation. It's going to tighten down on revenues. Um, and it's going to tighten down on consumer behavior. And so you're going to have corporate earnings going into decline. And we were kind of dismissed. I mean, you know, I... I was told I was crazy for moving folks to cash in January of 2022. Um, so, you know, it turns out that, that we were right. We had a decline in earnings. I mean, we had a pretty significant decline in earnings in Q4 last year. And now, you know, we're, again, because we're cautious, we didn't jump on the bandwagon of the AI hype that, you know, maybe we're the outlier again, right? And so... It's kind of like a similar story, right? It's hard to be an outlier, but it's nice to be right. We're an outlier again, and the only difference between our outlook and the overall market outlook is that, you know, we're already in that earnings recession. We just believe that that earnings recession is going to persist, whereas consensus is that the earnings recession is over and that we're going to see a reacceleration in earnings in the back half of 23. So, again, you look at last year, Q4, earnings did decline, right? There was a, re a recession in tech earnings. And that was really a product of overinvestment and cost issues. You know, they invested as if the pandemic boom was never going to stop. Uh, they hired too many people, etc. So they, they had pressures on cost. And so that was the main driver of earnings decline. And, and what tech did is they fired a bunch of people. So they lowered costs and tried to rectify that a bit. And that's part of why they've rallied a bit. Um, but again, you saw this this recession in fourth quarter last year. Uh, they rectified it a bit, but that was all cost. Now, what's ahead is going to be a re recession, a continuation of that recession, but it's not going to be around cost. It's going to be around revenue because as GDP slows, GDI slows, right? Some of the projections are 0% or very minimal growth. I think we could even see negative growth potentially. Um, it's going to feel like a recession because these companies are going to lose their pricing power. And so when they lose their pricing power, then, you know, the revenue declines. They've already done the cost cutting. So, you know, when the top line starts to miss, that's going to be the real pressure on corporate earnings. And then eventually, you know, with more unemployment, uh, you'll spiral into a much deeper recession. Um, but that's, that's the real issue that's ahead of us. You know, the question is whether or not anyone cares, right? I mean, does this new form of investor that we created over the last 15 years, do they even care about an earnings decline? Or can they actually see through that? And because they're so excited about, you know, 2024, 2025, around reshoring and traditional energy, green energy, infrastructure investments and AI, you know, can we just look through this? And you know, the problem with that really is, there's going to be a catalyst for people to start focusing on on the price and and that that's price itself and so right the the highest solution for high prices or the best solution for high prices is high prices and so you know if you think equities are overvalued you know the price itself is going to be the mechanism to bring that down 
And, you know, that's really what we're seeing in the market. You know, there's this narrative that, hey, the rest of the market's priced at 14 times earnings. It's just these top 10 companies that are 30 times earnings. And so when you look at the S&P 500 at 19 and a half times forward earnings, you know, it's still a reasonable price. 19 and a half times forward earnings is not a reasonable price. And it's not just the top 10 companies that are that way. The median multiple for the S&P 500 is actually the same. It's about 18 and a half, 19 times. So you have a highly overvalued market that's broad over overvaluation. And and so that's that is the overall issue. And again, price eventually is going to to come into focus. Um, and so last thing I just want to leave you with is some of the things that we're looking at, you know, to help us guide our investment decisions. You know, we're looking at you know, the yield curve obviously has been inverted throughout this entire little rally we've seen. And that's not unprecedented. In late 1970s, as well as 2007, there were you know 30% increases in the S&P 500 while you had an inverted yield curve. And both of those were followed by precipitous declines in the equity market. So we're very concerned about that. So we're watching that. And actually what happens right before the market starts to roll over at the top of these little bear market rallies is that the yield curve starts to, um, un, you know, uninvert, right? And then, in fact, it starts to steepen. And the reason that's happening is the two the two uh, two year yields start to come down because they start to price in that recession. So when you're looking at kind of two things, you're looking at the twos and tens. If the twos start to come down and the yield curve starts to 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 um, steepen, you know, that's an indication that the market's starting to realize that the recession's rate is imminent. Uh, right now, if the tens are down and the twos are up, that recession is far off, right? As far as pricing, when that recession comes into focus, the twos will drop, the, the yield curve will start to steepen, and the next thing you'll start to see is leadership change in the equity markets. And you know, we hadn't seen that until about five days ago. You're starting to see some 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 leadership change. Tech starting to underperform. Some of the defensive sectors, staples, healthcare, are starting to outperform. So we're going to continue to watch that. Uh, we're not going to fight the tape, but we have to understand what's going on, you know, with regards to earnings. And, um, you know, it's complicated. This is why, you know, professionals do this. this. is why we do it for a living. And we spend a ton of time doing these analyses. Uh, so, again, um, th hopefully this is a little introduction to what we're thinking, what we're looking at. And, you know, we'll see you for the Q2 review. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend. If you're not a client, head to freedomandwealthusa.com, put in your name, email, phone number. I will call you directly. We'll do a financial plan for you, including all your taxes, and we will um, you know, do an investment portfolio analysis, show you our portfolio, show you how we're beating the market consistently, um, and you know, we'll take it from there. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend. The information on this podcast is educational in nature and is not intended to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, or other purpose. Information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of subjects discussed. The information provided should not be considered tax or legal advice. Discussions and answers to questions do not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice and is limited to the dissemination of general information and may not be suitable for members of the listening audience. It should not be construed by any consumer as solicitation to affect or attempt to affect transactions and securities or the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation. 
Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of advisory services offered through Redwood Private Wealth. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should always seek advice from a financial, insurance, legal, or tax professional that takes into account all of the particular facts and circumstances of an investor's own situation.